This episode contains descriptions of violence and sexual assault. Discretion is advised. This is the cul-de-sac insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori. And we're going to keep you up all night. Just hanging out in my closet, very excited to be very scared. What about you? I'm sitting in my office recording a podcast, ignoring my family. Oh Probably my hungry, but whatever. I've been feeding them a long time. I, I don't need to feed them again today. No, they'll be good. Uh, anyway, as we've said, this is the cul-de-sac insomniac. We're the main insomniacs, and we're going to keep you up all night. Yes, we are. Tori, do you want to talk about spooky stuff? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> well, well, before we talk about actually the topic I'm going to talk about, I want to tell you about a weird thing that happened to me last night. Okay. In the great. house. I don't really know what this is. But anyway, so about 2.38, I remember because I jumped up when this happened and looked at my phone because I didn't know what time it was. The, it sounded like the smoke detector went off really loud. I jumped out of bed and it's still going off. And I said, I'm saying to Uncle Keith, get up, get up. Um, you know, you got to get out of the house. You got to get out. And the alarm's going off and he kind of wakes up and he didn't do anything. And he says, oh, just, just shut it off. But we have those hardwired ones. Right. And this thing was going off the whole time. I went down the hall. I went into Papa's apartment mm-hmm. and he was asleep. Not on fire? Assumedly. Couldn't hear it in his apartment. And I went to Olivia's room. I thought maybe she was doing something with her hair or whatever, set it off. But it wasn't going off in her room, just in the hall. But it was loud. And then I went to John's room and everyone's still asleep. And the dogs didn't even start barking, which is weird for my dogs. So they bark all the time. Mm -hmm. And nobody else heard it. And I'm like trying to wake people up. And then it went off. And then I got back into bed and I was so rattled by it that I stayed up for like another hour and a half just playing mm-hmm. on my phone. And then I dozed off. And so then in the morning I said to um, to your uncle, I said, you didn't get up. Didn't you hear the alarm? You didn't get up. And he, I said, did you hear it? And he said, yeah, I did. And he says, well, I'm not sure if I heard it or if I just heard you telling me about it. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I remembered when I was telling my dad and Papa was like, I couldn't get to sleep last night. I was up most of the night and I didn't hear anything. And then I realized our alarms have a voice that says, um, emergency, emergency, evacuate, oh, the yeah. evacuate. And I didn't hear those voices. So now I don't know if either I'm hallucinating because right. I'm, your uncle remembers me waking him up about it. Right. But he wasn't sure. He said, I was sleeping. I'm not sure if I remember an alarm. John can't stand any kind of sound. He wakes very easily. He, you know, he doesn't stand. Nobody can stand any kind of, you know, that would have, maybe it wouldn't have woken up. Yeah, but us. yeah. I would um, have woken up for sure. But I mean, it. I, I must have come an inch above the mattress. It's, it startled me so much. And it didn't wake the dogs, which is also really weird. So now I don't know if it's... Remember one time I told you about a dream I had, and I still to this day can't thought it was real. And the only yeah, reason I knew that it was fake is because your uncle was there and said, Honey, you were sound asleep and woke up right. in the middle of a dream. So I don't know if it was this really realistic dream, and it was so realistic that I told your uncle about it, and so that's what he remembers. But the other thing is I'm wondering, I have to go searching because this happened to us. We had um, one of those, you know, battery operated ones you buy in the store and we had tossed it in a drawer and it had gone off at our old house. So now I'm going to look around and see if there's something like that. But so either that happened or I'm losing my mind or we have a haunted smoke detector sound. So that's just for you, but just me. Because right. I'm haunted, because yeah. we've already, right. we'll get into some of the, my other right. weird stuff in other episodes when they tie in, but you know I'm haunted. Like, I go places and 
see stuff people don't see. Ghosts follow you around. Yeah, or I'm just out of my mind, which is, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, well. Smart money's on that explanation, but. <laughs> but see, waking up with noises like that, I've had that happen to me before, too. I, one time, I was staying over, I was probably 12 or something, and I was staying in my other grandparents' house, and the next day was a school day. And I distinctly remember my grandmother, like, came to the door and knocked on it and told me it was time to wake up. So I got up out of bed, I took a shower, and then I was like, huh, what time is it? And it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, (laughs) clearly no one told me, like, time to wake up and go to school because it was 2 a.m. Then I asked them the next day, and they were like, oh, I think we did hear you get in the shower, but we just, like, kind of ignored it. And so the same thing, I just hallucinated somebody waking me up. And I was like, guess it's time to take a shower, even though that's definitely not what happened at all. I'm not one of those hear a sound and ignore it people. And I know I, I drive people crazy, but I hear something. I get up and I'm like, what's that? Was that you? Did you do that? Did you put, are you taking it? And people <laughs> in my family are like, just mom, just let me just do my thing. But I always think like, I'm, I just want to make sure I know they think I'm just trying to be in all their business. Really, I'm trying to make sure I'm not losing my mind. That like things mm-hmm. I think I'm hearing, I'm actually hearing. And, and then I'm then good. Then I'm fine. Good. Because I never really know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never mm-hmm. really know. Yeah. So, do you want to know what I'm going to talk about today? I'm very scared, but yes, I'm ready. Black-eyed kids, baby! Oh my, I woke myself up in the middle of the night because I knew this was what you were going to talk about and I don't know anything about it and I woke up afraid even though I don't know about this so I'm excited and very scared to hear it. Well, you're not going to get less afraid. Great. (laughs) At least later I can talk about murder and calm myself down with some real actual murder. Which will make me scared. But I'm not leaving my house today. Right. Although I've heard murderers sometimes come into your house, which I think is rude. That, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on board with that at all, but, you know. Well, like, if I go into, if I break into a murderer's house and get murdered, that's on that me. That one's on you. Yeah. But if a murderer breaks into my house and murders me, it's, it's disrespectful. It is. They're not thinking so, about you at all. I'm... So, okay, so here's a weird thing. I, I'm going to talk about the Black Eyed Kids. I am, but here's something that because I'm, as we've established, I'm insane. Mm-hmm. But this is something I think about when I hear about somebody getting murdered. I wonder if they're a true crime fan who listen to true crime podcasts, and then they're getting murdered, and they think, oh, crap, I'm going to end up on a podcast. I'm probably going to end up on one of those podcasts I listen to. Because right. when you're listening to them, you never think you're going to get murdered. I mean, I think when I'm listening to them, I'm like, oh, my God, I really hope that I don't get murdered. You know what I mean? Really? Because I yeah, think people bit. listen to paranormal. Like, a lot of the paranormal podcasts I listen to, a lot of people listen to them because they've been paranormaled. They've yeah. had some sort of thing. That's how I get into them. They had mm-hmm. weird things happen, and they said, hmm, I wonder if this happens to other people. But I don't feel like true crime fans listen to true crime podcasts because they think they're going to get true crime. I feel like I listen to it because I'm like, hmm, how can I avoid doing things that got other people true crimed, you know? Well, I, so I sort of, I sort of, sorry, I had to take a drink of water. I sort of have a thing like that where I, so I'm a warrior. We come from a long line of warriors. It's a time-honored tradition in our family. And I, but I kind of feel like people think you shouldn't worry so much. But here's the thing. All the things I worry about so far have, have not happened. So I kind of feel like it's like a superpower. Like if I worry about it, it can't take me by surprise now. So it's out there in the universe right. like, ah, shoot, it's we can't, like we can't get her now. She worried about it. Right. It's like the opposite of the secret. Yeah. You know, you think about it and therefore it goes away from you. Exactly. Like I, I worried about you. So now you can't. Yeah, I'm ready for you. Anyway, that was a lot of talking. Hey, that's what podcasts are for. (laughs) Black-eyed kids. Okay. So let me tell you, but like, so kids aren't horrible enough, right? Right. We got to have the black-eyed kind, except for my kids. My kids are pretty great, but, you know, other kids. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't have black eyes, so. Exactly. They have very pretty brown eyes. 
Mm. But mm-hmm. black-eyed kids are these, so they're these kids whose eyes are entirely black and they they just sort of show up outside like your vehicle or your home and in weird circumstances like middle of the night. A lot of times there's two of them, like, you know, one a little bit maybe middle school and one a little younger. And they they say that they need help. But they're trying to get into your house or they're trying to get into your car, but they're 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 off like they're not really and and they they ooze this overwhelming sense of fear or panic like people feel this sense of like doom or danger and they insist on trying to get into wherever you are and they won't accept like well we have they'll say things like you know we need to get in touch with our mother or we have and then you know, we have some kind of issue and they really want to get into where you are and they're persistent. And when people are able to get a good look at them, their eyes are completely black, like no whites of their eyes are. Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to avoid all children from now on. Yeah. Well, that's what, uh, you know, just I mean, it's it's weird enough if, if two kids just showed up at your house in the middle of the night. I mean, yeah. I would just call the police, probably. Mm-hmm. Just say, yeah, there's some kids here. And but um, and apparently if you do that, they don't hang around. Well, that's good. At least they respect, you know, the authority of the law. So I'm going to um, tell a story about this. Is I'm getting this from ThoughtCatalog.com. We can post wherever, every place where I got these stories. Put um, in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes if you want to go and read more of them. But this one is called Midnight Caller. It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog, Lucy, barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring at our door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. I thought she was just freaking out over house noise. We'd only had her for three months, and she was a puppy. It could have been anything. Our roommate, a creak from the house settling, something moving in the breeze. I wasn't too concerned. So I decided to go open the door and show her nothing was there. Oh no. Bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the door and she raced to the front door and she stood there snarling and growling and she was was an angry, violent growl. So I opened the baby gate that blocked the doorway and I was about to open the door and show her everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went berserk. The dog went wild, barking, jumped to at her. And when I touched the metal of the lock, she changed her temper, started to whimper and started backing down. And as soon as her mannerism changed, so did mine. I I wasn't calm anymore. My heart started racing and sinking and I got this feeling of fear and dread. So I looked through the peephole just to console myself that there was nothing out there. But when I looked, there were two kids. One was just little. She didn't look much younger. I'm, I was 21 at the time. She looked around 16 or 17. Oh. She was slender and pale. Her hair was a light shade of honey blonde, and she wore it long about mid-back with long, thin, blunt bangs on the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, um, an olive-colored pullover-style hoodie, and she held the, the, the hand of a small girl who looked around three or four in the same style jeans and a button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly but had the same shade of hair tied back in a ponytail, and she had a stuffed toy under her arm, and it was identical to one that my daughter has. So if it hadn't been for the feeling of overwhelming dread and fear, I would have probably brought them in and given them some hot cocoa because it was cold out. So, but something about them seemed off. So at this point, I hadn't made any noise. I hadn't shushed the dog or grumbled or anything. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indicators I was at the door. The older one began to speak. Mm -hmm. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held, held her head tilted downward and said, we have to use your phone. And I just froze in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black, just dark, dark, dark black, and sort of otherworldly. Our mother is worried. As someone who's always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I've never been one to believe in it. I'm a staunch atheist and skeptic. I've written off most ghost stories from friends and family. I didn't, you know, 
I don't believe them, but this I couldn't rationalize. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. I didn't answer her. Slowly and silently, I backed away from the door, Lucy still cowering at my ankles. She kept saying, just let us in to use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step, the tone changed. At first, she seemed polite. When I took that second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken your door in. I'll ask again, may we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door and I inched backward. There's something inside me seemed to be slowly pulling me back toward the door. It wasn't a physical pulling so much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, locked the door, and sat there in the dim light of the nightlight. I heard her keep calling me back to the door. Eventually it went quiet. I didn't go back to sleep that night and I haven't slept right since. I know from reading about them that BEKs can't just come in without permission. I know they haven't hurt anyone, but I still fear I'll be the exception. See, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that last part because... Um, that they've never hurt anyone? Right, because... Well, how would you know if they just came in and killed you and then someone was murdered? You yeah. know. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. He keeps telling me to forget it. But this lingering feeling of sadness, this dread when the house is silent at night, tells me otherwise. So, there's a whole Reddit thread about it. Black Eyed Kids story. About a demon kid in the middle of the day. So this kid was, um, he was going to high school in 2003 in West Texas. And he was ditching school with his buddies. And it was the middle of the day. It was really hot. It's Texas. So -hmm. they stopped at a stop sign at a cross street that had an alley directly across from them. In the alley, they see a little blonde-haired kid, maybe 10 to 12 years old, come blasting out of one of the house's back gates. He was running towards us frantically like he was scared. You could see terror in his eyes, which I thought maybe his parents were abusing him. As we were turning left, he stops at the end of the alley with his hands on his knees, heavily panting, looking at the ground. My buddy pulled to the end of the alley, and I rolled down my window and said, Hey, are you okay, bud? He then looked straight at me with black eyes, and his demeanor totally changed. He stands up straight, no longer out of breath or scared, and smiles at us with this mouthful of sharp, shark-looking teeth. What the heck? I've never heard... thank you. What? And points right at me. I yelled at my friend, fucking go! As we speed off, the kid's gaze follows us, still pointing till we are out of sight. Then we start screaming at each other. What the F was that? Did you see that? I'd never heard of black-eyed kids before, and I found out years later when I remembered what happened, and I decided to Google it. I asked my friend through Facebook a year ago if he remembered it, and he says he just doesn't, he doesn't talk about that stuff anymore. He doesn't believe in it. I don't know how to explain it, but that was just a creepy little demon fucker. I mean, how are we going to share the same hallucination? And we have another website here, Texas Hill Country. Oh, oh, that's weird. It's just a picture of some kids that they blacked out. I don't think it's real. I, I think it's someone just made the eyes. Made this the is eyes what black eyed kids would look like. Yeah. Whew. So apparently this, the legend of them started back in Abilene. Where's that? Texas. Okay. I was going to say it sounds Texan, but. This whole thing sounds, has Texas written all over it. Sure, sure does. Oh, so how long ago did it start? It started in, I'm trying to find, I feel like it's not that old. The earliest reported sighting was in 1996 by Brian Bethel, a journalist from Abilene. In his report, he describes a late evening out in his vehicle. He stopped in a parking lot near a movie theater to write a check, and he was so absorbed that he didn't notice two young boys approach his car. He didn't notice until the older boy tapped on the driver's side window. First of all, when I'm like involved in something and I'm in the car, I'm looking at my phone and people that like people I know come and tap on your window, whatever. That oh, scares the bejesus out of me. I don't like that. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. Don't tap on my window. But yeah, even in my cubicle at work, if somebody comes around the corner to talk to me, I still jump out of my skin. Never mind in the dark in a parking lot. And don't come up behind me either. Ever. No. No. Unacceptable. And um, oh, so he didn't notice the old, until the older boy tapped on his window. 
He rolled his window down and noted immediately a soul-wracking fear, but he didn't understand why. The older boy said that he and his brother wanted to catch a movie, but had forgotten their money at home. Could Bethel give them a ride? They assured him that it wouldn't take long. They were just two kids, and they didn't have a gun, because people always say that. Okay, (laughs) if you say to me, I don't have a gun, do you know what I immediately assume you have? A gun. At least one gun, (laughs) if not more. Can I get in your car, stranger? I don't have a gun. I won't kill you. Yikes. We're just... They need to learn how children speak. We're just two Earth children. See how we (laughs) behave as Earth children? We are going to take in the cinema on on Earth. (laughs) Jesus. So what? Oh. Yeah, as, as soon as you say I don't have a gun, I mean you have something. It might not be what we call a gun, but it's what? What is it? Like a laser or a ray gun? I don't know. Ray- you have something though. Maybe you don't need yeah. a gun, right? <laughs> oh, maybe you're just gonna take your creepy black eyes and shoot me with those. How exactly. am I supposed to know? No thanks. Bethel found the assurances unnerving because it's a weird thing to say. Yeah. Right, because he has a conscious and a brain. Because he's normal. And would be nearly over by the time he could drive, and said the film had already started and would be nearly over by the time he could drive them anywhere and get back. In his recount of the incident, he stated that when he broke eye contact with them, his fear became all-encompassing. And it wasn't until he broke eye contact that their eyes became completely blacked out. Oh, so they can change. Oh, so you that's worse. You could be talking to a regular kid and he could be an, like an undercover black-eyed kid. He could be like a black-eyed kid on the lowdown. No. No, I don't like that. Go check on your kid's eyeballs. I didn't know that. See, I didn't know that. And Oh, my dogs are barking. Sorry. Sorry. They don't like this story either. No, they don't. The older boy began to get frustrated when Bethel made excuses for not giving them a ride and said that they couldn't get into the car unless Bethel said it was okay. Thanks for that information, demon child. Because it's not okay. Are these vampires? Like, what is going on? (laughs) Right. Is it... (laughs) <laughs> it's like the vampire diaries Seriously? just let me in i can't kill you unless you say i can come in i need a formal invitation to murder you i'm gonna still take a pass as tempting as that is I'm so i will drive out of this parking lot as fast as humanly possible so of course after that bethel tore out of the parking lot and to this day he still stands by his story so apparently 1996 was the first iteration of Black Eyed Kids. Because I guess, I don't know, I guess all the alien probing was not working. I don't know. They had yeah. sending these guys. So so those are my stories of Black Eyed Kids. What do you think of the Black Eyed Kids, Tori? I'm terrified. Um, I will never be leaving my home, uh, going to my car, or answering the door. <laughs> literally ever again in my whole life. She's going to have kids and... Oof, no, they're going to go somewhere else. You can have them or something. I don't know. I'd like I'll take them. Oh, that is so creepy. I don't like that their eyes can change. No. No, see, I didn't know that because now... Now you're more scared. Now other kids could be black-eyed kids. I wonder if my kids could be. I'd probably know. I think you would if you had birthed a black-eyed kid. I think so. I'm pretty sure. I mean, so I think it's interesting that, like, okay, the first one was a woman, and she saw two girls, and then the other people were male, and they saw boy kids. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I mean, I don't know what's up with Shark Boy. That was just... That, I don't know. I have... Maybe that was just a regular kid with contacts and filed down teeth. (laughs) I don't... Like, that's that's some other weird shit going on that I... yeah. Oh, that's so Because that's another yeah. thing. Some some people do that, like file their teeth like that. to Right. Insane. Because, I don't know, people are weird. Right. So, yeah, are these demons? Because, right, don't demons sometimes be like, oh, I'll show up as a little kid because that won't freak anybody well, out. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, they say that, too, with Ouija boards. And, you know, I'm going to do a Ouija board episode someday. But they ah! they say that you get, like, um, a lot of times if it's a child or you think that there's an entity that's a child, it's it's not always a child. Right, yeah, it's somebody who thinks a child is non-threatening. Yeah, except oh. when that child is creepy AF, then it's not threatening. Exactly. It's the most threatening thing ever. Right. So that's Why black-eyed you? kids. I've ne- I don't. I've never had a black-eyed kid experience, but I. I want to not mm. have one. Yep. No, I'm down with never ever seeing a child ever again for my whole life. I don't even like my phone. My 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 doorbell to ring if I'm not expecting anyone. 
Freaks me no, out. No, that's the worst. I hate that. I don't even care if it's like you look out. I know I'm getting a package. No, no, because that lunatic ruined that. The guy who shot that poor judge's son who was yes, dressed like a yep. FedEx guy. So like, so that's ruined now, too. I can't even get excited for the package. I have to hide in my house and let the FedEx guy leave. And if I have to sign for it, you know what? Take it back to FedEx. I'll go and sign yep. for it. Yeah, I always freak out when someone knocks on my door. And I live, in a, I live in an apartment, too, so, like, it doesn't happen that often. And I just immediately, my stomach sinks. That's the good thing about, like, at least the black-eyed kids, they have several layers of doors to get permission to come through before they can come to your apartment. And I, I'm not buzzing them up. You know what I mean? No. Why would you? Although you won't know they're black-eyed kids, but if they just say, we need to use your phone to contact our mother, you're just like, well, mm-hmm. you're, you're shit out of luck, kid. You should have a cell phone. It's 2020. You should have stayed with your mother. What can I say? Mm-hmm. This one seems like a you problem. See you never. <laughs> oh, that's so creepy. Okay. What do you got for me? Oh, boy. Okay, this one's going to be a long one, so I hope you're ready. Am I going to be scared? I don't think so. This one's kind of older. Not, like, old, old, but not recent either. Um, But there is some recent, like, some stuff that came up about it pretty recently, so I think that's cool. So, I'm going to talk about the double murder of Jay Cook and Tanya Van Kylenborg. Have you ever heard of this? No, but I hate it. Okay, great. So... Uh, this took place in 1987. So oh. Jay and Tanya were from Saanich, British Columbia. Uh, Jay was 20 and Tanya was 18. She just graduated from high school. Um, she loved her pets. She thought she might want to be a vet. She loved U2. Uh, she played the guitar. She played tennis. She loved to sail. Um, she was trying to save up money to go to Holland um, because she had some family on her father's side there. Uh, Jay, her boyfriend, also liked boating. He played the bass guitar and worked at a pizza shop. Um, they kind of they started dating that summer. Um, and Jay's mother said that he thought that she thought that um, Tanya was quite special to Jay. And Tanya's father said he had no apprehensions about them being together, even as they were going on this overnight trip across the border. So Jay's dad, Gordon Cook, he owned a furnace business and he asked his son to go across the border to Seattle to pick something up from him for him, which I mean, my family would literally never send me across the border, you know, ever. Where were they? They're from British Columbia. Yeah. And they were just going over to Seattle to pick something up and then come back Mm -hmm. the next day. Stay in Canada, kids. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely stay in Canada. Don't don't come anywhere near here. I would recommend um, so Jay borrows his dad's gold van, um, and he and Tanya are going to take the ferry to get to Seattle. So their plan was to take the 4 p.m. Coho ferry from Victoria to Port Angeles, Washington, then drive to Bremerton, and then take another ferry to get to Seattle. So then there they buy the part, stay overnight, and then come back to Saanich the next day. So what's weird is this this case was unsolved for a really, really, really long time. And yet we know that they missed the exit for Hood Canal Bridge and then they rerouted through another town and then they got on their second ferry. And then they never came home the next day. So, of course, both families start to worry. Um, Tanya's dad said, like, she always called if she was going to be late. And when she didn't call the next day, they were really worried. He said he ta- he kind of tried to play it down to her mom. But by the day after that, they were both really scared. So, let's see. So, that was on November 18th of 1987. So, they think Jay and Tanya met their killer in the lounge on one of the ferries. And that they were both young and friendly. And that if somebody had asked and said, oh, can you drop me off somewhere? They definitely would have said yes. Even though, you know, it was late at night. They're in another country. Um, but this was 1987. That's where we differ. So, yes, exactly. Um... So, yeah, the police think that, like, their inexperience and their friendliness made them an easy target. And that's that's kind of why the killer picked them. Isn't it scary that anybody you meet at any given time, you could be meeting your killer? Yeah. Or your doom just for whatever reason, just and you have no idea there. Yeah, you have no way of knowing until it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. Scary world out there. It's dumb. Yep. Yep. So, on November 20th, so two days after they left Canada, Tanya's body was found. 
So she was partially clothed. They know she'd been sexually assaulted and she was shot in the head. They also found zip ties along the road, which they believe they had been used to restrain her while she was in the van. So first, obviously, they're thinking this girl goes somewhere with her boyfriend. Who's the killer? Probably her boyfriend, because, you know, a lot of times that is how it goes. But both Tanya and Jay's family were like, no, we really don't think that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is 1987, and the police collect DNA at the scene, even though this is something that, like, doesn't really exist yet. Like, only the year before had they used DNA at all to solve um, a case of serial rapes. Like, they, this was, like, a totally new thing. You needed a lot of evidence to be able to actually test it. So they they basically were collecting it, saying, like, we think in the future this is going to be something that we're able to use. Um, But they didn't really know how. Like, I think they said at this point they were mostly looking at blood types when you were looking at victims and killers and stuff like that. But they still collected it, which is, I mean... I read some stories sometimes where you're like, okay, how could you not collect evidence? So I think it's yeah. it's really good that in this case they actually collected this and they, they kept it for as long as possible. Yeah. So then the next day in Bellingham, Washington, 90 miles from where Tanya's body was found, they found Jay's father's van. And there they found more zip ties, blood, um, and still they couldn't find Jay. And two blocks away... Underneath the deck of a tavern, the police found the keys to Jay's van, more zip ties, Tanya's license, a half-empty box of ammo, and surgical gloves. And they felt like, yeah, they felt like the killer put the surgical surgical gloves there to show that, like, oh, if you're going to try to fingerprint, like, don't bother. Like, I was wearing gloves, so you're not going to be able to catch me. So I was thinking as you're saying this, like... What an idiot. Why would you leave these zip ties? Why wouldn't you toss them or do this? But no, so what you're saying is he's leaving clues. This is a game. He's like, guess what? You're never going to find me. I'm too good. Um, So they think basically he was taunting the police. So a few days later, which was actually Thanksgiving Day on November 26th, they finally find Jay's body. So he was killed differently than Tanya, which is weird. Apparently, he was beaten, but didn't die. So then he was strangled to death with twine and two dog collars, which is just so horrible and bizarre. Um, His hands were bound with zip ties. um, And they said that the method of Jay's murder was similar to things that they had seen inside the prison walls. So they started to think that this is a killer that has been in prison before. And where his body was found was also close to a prison farm, which I think kind of colored that also. Yeah. Um, or and and it's possible too if this guy is doing his research, he knows all this. Right. Exactly. Found this all out somehow, and and so staged it to look right. that way, which is why he didn't just do the same. Exactly. Right. Method. The same mo. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so one of the one of the sources that I used was Unsolved Mysteries. And this episode aired like really, really early on in Unsolved Mysteries is only season two, episode five, I believe, um, when they were still actively trying to solve the case. And they said that the killer took two things from them. He took Jay's black ski jacket that had red piping and Tanya had an olive drab backpack that they were hoping that people were going to be able to spot and then be able to identify the killer by the fact that he had taken these items from mm-hmm. the couple. But they were uh, probably like trophy items. He probably just kept them exactly. some like didn't parade them around. I know a lot of these things I'm like this all really sounds like a serial killer and I think that the police thought this too and some people like in the comments and stuff they're saying like oh this sounds like Zodiac which like this is yeah. so much later than Zodiac though like it's very yeah. strange. Um and it gets weirder. So a couple weeks later over Christmas Um, Right after these bodies have been found, both victims' families started receiving greeting cards, and they were filled with descriptions of the murders, and the killer, and they said that they were written by the killer himself. And he kept writing these greeting cards every month for over a year. Um, I want to kill this guy. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes he would even say that they were from Jay or they were from Tanya, Um, but when when the police checked the DNA on the cards they didn't match the DNA that had been found at the scene so the police were like this may not actually even be the killer just some sicko who read it 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of these horrible people that think like, hmm, how can I ruin these poor people's lives even more? But they're thinking, okay, it could be an accomplice. Because what if he had details about the murder that murders that weren't released to the public? Right. You know, yeah. I don't so know like, that, but yeah. So the po- the letters were also there, postmarked from Seattle, L.A., and New York, and they have this really weird handwriting. I'll show you a photo of it later. It's like some lowercase, some uppercase. In the letters, he's describing the murders. He's saying how much he hated Canadians, and he says like this opportunity was too oh, good. Oh, to pass okay, up. okay, hang on, hold on, hold up, hold up. Yeah, who hates Canadians? Apparently, this one guy. Who hates Canadians? I think he must have been the only one. Yeah. It's crazy. That is crazy. You can so, put that yeah. you can put that picture up on the um is that one that we can put on Instagram? I don't know if we have rights yes. to use it or if we have to find out, but we can put it yeah. up there. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to read you from some of the, some of this. I think that for the most part I couldn't find pictures of most of the cards. I think that they were keeping out the parts that were graphic and stuff like that. Yeah. But this is the this I think this might be the first one. It says dearest Jay's father in quotation marks or Gordon Cook. Greetings and salutations. Hallelujah, bloody Jesus. I am the happiest human being on planet Earth. In fact, I am on I am on a Michael Jackson victory tour celebrating my victory. Take Michael Jackson's name out of your mouth, number 1. Yeah. Not not a nice letter and like these are these like greeting cards that have teddy bears on them and stuff and then these poor families they open them up and it's this awful stuff from this person that says that they murdered their children. So, so after the first one I would just start getting them and not open them and just bring them right down to the police say here yeah. you deal with that, it. Yeah that might be what they did I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean they had these letters but they still they didn't have any breaks in the case but they still kept all the evidence um, and by 1994 so seven years after the murder they're able to make a full DNA profile because now more police stations have the ability to actually do this in-house. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they enter the information into CODIS, which is the database of all the DNA, which was pretty much brand new at the time. And they're hoping, because they had thought this person had been in prison before, they're hoping that they're going to be able to get a match. And they don't. There's, there's nobody in the system that matches this person, and there were no more leads for years and years. And then finally, in 2010, they figured out the identity of the person who was sending the cards, and it was not the killer. Who was it? It was just a random, transient Canadian man who had mental health issues, but was literally not connected to the case in any way. So how did he just got all their information? See, and now here's another thing. I'm always amazed when someone is so mentally ill that they can't function in society, but they're functioning enough to pull off some really crazy thing like that. Yeah. Like they are they were obviously able to keep up with the case, to get these people's addresses, know their name, figure all that out mm-hmm. and do all that and not get caught for years and years. And But yet you can't take those faculties and just function in society. Yeah, it's crazy. It's sad. I mean, all the people that were hurt by this and... Ugh. It was just I still terrible. want to kill him anyway. I know he didn't kill anybody, but I don't care. Yeah, no, I mean, that's still, like, the amount of pain that he caused just to, like, these kids' parents, not to, mender, not to mention, like, they both had siblings and, like, everybody in their whole community. And still this, like, at this point, this crime is still unsolved. I should probably not be advocating murder on the podcast. Yeah, I would but, say... you know, he, our... can, he can go to jail forever. That'd be okay. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm down. He, I don't think he faced any any trial or anything because bef- like before they figured out it was him they said like we are not gonna like press charges we just want to know but what why you know. wouldn't you well because they thought he was involved yeah i think they thought maybe if he's an accomplice and not actually the murderer then maybe he can give them some information and then they can actually figure out who the murderer is which didn't end up being so the did he stop once they caught he him had, he'd only sent the cards for i think about a year yeah. So we're going to jump forward. So okay. in 2018, so now this is just a couple years ago when all these like at-home DNA tests are becoming really, really popular. Like I've done it. I know yeah. some other people in our family have done it. Like a lot of people are doing this. Um, and MIT has said that about 26 million people have put their DNA into these um, mm-hmm. ancestry databases. 
So there's all this information out there. Um, and several years ago, there's this website started called GEDmatch, or some people pronounce it GEDmatch. I'm not really sure which is right. It's uh, the whole GIF gift thing all over again. Exactly, exactly. So this website, so typically if you if you um, basically spit into the tube, right, and you send it off, then you can see who's related to you, but only the people that have also used the same website as you. So okay. if you use 23andMe, you can see all your relatives that have used 23andMe, but if you have relatives that have used Ancestry.com or one of the other ones, you won't see that you're related to them. So GEDmatch is this thing where you can voluntarily put your DNA profile up there, and then other people can do that too, so you can see more people that you're related to. Okay. So um, law enforcement starts to figure out, maybe we can use this, and we can start to match these DNA profiles in some way to the DNA that we have on file that we don't know who criminals are. So um, investigator Jim Sharp, Jim Scharf, sorry, with an F, he's been on the case since 2000. He starts to hear about this. And I think probably the most famous one is the use of DNA in this site to um, identify the Golden State Killer slash East Area Rapist slash original Night Stalker. Yeah. So didn't so, someone else in his family do it? And that was exactly. I love that. Yeah. I love that I so much. Like you think you got away with it and your brother goes and has some kid and your 20 year old nephew sends his stuff in on a lark and you get mm-hmm. nailed or whatever. I don't know the whole case, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like just that I whole do. idea that yep. you think you're in the clear and somebody else yeah. who has no idea sends their DNA in and boom. Yep, I get so much joy thinking about killers that are out there just fucking sweating nervously thinking about this website being out here and it's just a matter of time before they get caught. They see, they go to, they show up for family Christmas and like an aunt has given everyone a 23andMe kit. Damn it! Yeah. Oh no, this is, this is not going to be a good time for me. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Jim Sharp, he knows that they have all this DNA on file still, like, they, this case is still open, he's still working on it, and so he contacts Paraben Nanolabs, um, which I think they're also the company that did it for the Golden State Killer, um, and genetic genealogist C.C. Moore. So he says, okay, can you find this killer the same way that you found GSK? Um, and of course, they do. It takes C.C. Moore two hours so she's be able to, she's able to create these family trees almost in the reverse way of the of how you would do it if you were trying to find out about your family. So she finds people on both sides of this killer and is able to work it all the way down the tree until she finds this family and she knows it's one of the children of this family and she sees that they have three daughters and one son. And we know that this murderer obviously is a man. So they know that this has to be the guy. And so she says she spends the rest of the weekend trying to disprove this theory, right? Because she wants to be 100% sure. Yeah. So the suspect is 55-year-old William Earl Talbot Jr., who's a truck driver, and he lived just seven miles away from where Jay's body was dumped. So, of course, they can't just say, like, oh, well, we figured it out using DNA, and now we convict you. They have to actually get his DNA and and be able to compare it directly to the DNA that they have on file. So the police officers, they follow him around until finally a used paper cup falls out of his truck and they're like, they're so pumped to see this litter. They're so excited. And of course his DNA was a perfect match for all of the 13 profile markers. Uh, They arrest him. He didn't want to go easily. Apparently he was like this big, really kind of scary guy. Well, that's what you Uh, get for littering, idiot. Exactly. Um, and having family that spit in a tube. So, and committing a double murder. So, so first he tries to say like, oh, well, Tanya and I had sex consensually, but somebody else must have killed them. Like, this is a separate Coincidentally. Coincidentally on that same night, which is like, okay, that's like very obviously not what happened. And so he's like, okay, well, I did rape her, but then somebody else must have murdered her, murdered them. Which again, like, what are the odds? Yeah. What are the odds that this happened, right? Like, 0% that this is what happened. But he's still saying, like, to this day that he's innocent. Um, But obviously he's not. So he says he's a kind person. He's never raised a hand to anyone. Except except for the time I raped that girl that I didn't kill. kill. Exactly. But that's a totally separate situation. But no one, no one defended him at his trial. Like, no one came and testified on his behalf. People who know him were like, actually, no, he was a violent child. He was not a nice person. 
So finally, on June 28, 2019, 31 years after the murders, Talbot was found guilty on two counts of aggravated murder and went to prison for two life sentences. I love that. I love that. I know. But here's the funny thing. It's not funny. None of it's funny. But the you always hear people do these things and other people say he was so nice and he was so kind and I didn't never saw it coming. This guy, people are like, nope, no, we knew. We knew if someone was going off, it was going to be that guy. No offense to people named Earl, but I sort of feel like if you have Earl somewhere in your name. Yeah. You're probably a killer. Yeah. Yep. Maybe you haven't killed yet, but like, I I feel like it's one of those names, William Earl Talbot, Ray Earl this, Earl that. Don't name your kids Earl. Yeah, just don't do it. And I don't know. There's something about this, like, obviously his DNA was never matched with anything else in CODIS, so there were never any other, like, crimes or anything where he left DNA, but... He might have gotten better. He might... Has anybody searched any properties he's owned? They could be bodies under the patio. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just seems... The fact that he had these gloves and he's taunting the police, like... Just based on things I've read about other killers who've killed more than once, like this feels like he's developing some kind of MO or something. And or again, he's an yet. idiot who just left shit around. But I see, That's here's true. what I don't get though. People who they like they just like the whole murdering once. Like I feel like yeah. you're a killer or you're you're not a killer. Yeah, and like sometimes people it, who kill once it's someone that they know. Or like well, I can understand like I mean, I can't understand, but I know sometimes people get into it with someone or somebody cheated or there's like emotions involved and then you do this to get back at someone. Yeah, that's like crime of passion. It's like a crime of passion or a crime, like a transactional crime, like someone owes you might or something like that. So that's still not great, but it's different. Right. And for this guy, they said even they think he had a kill kit that he had on him because he had an entire box of ammo. He must have had this gun. He had these zip ties, the gloves, like... Who has never killed anyone before and has kill kit? Kill kit. It feels like the type of thing you came up with after your killing wasn't going that well. And you're like, you know how I can make it better? I can just have a kill kit. So I have everything I need. Like I've killed a few times now. I know what doesn't work and what does. And it doesn't seem like the type of thing that a normal person just carries around just in case they need to do some killing. Yeah, no, it's so strange. And then you don't do it ever again after you come up with this kill kit. This is a one use only. That's what I'm saying. You're like, oh, man, I wish I'd assembled more than one kill kit because now. Because I can't buy zip ties anywhere. I know. I I knew I should have assembled several. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Yep. I guess that's that. Yeah, it's just so strange that like 30 years pass and supposedly he never, you know, he'd never committed any crimes before this that they know of. But he's a trucker. I mean, check other places he went. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about some of the trucker serial killers later, because... Truckers, let me tell you, I feel like that's a perfect job for a serial killer. Yeah, I think that some of them... Do you think they become that's why they pick it. truckers so they can become serial killers? Or do you think being a trucker drives you nuts and you become a serial killer? Because if I had to drive all day with people cutting me off, I don't know... Mm. Yeah, I mean, and you have to I live in that teeny tiny little bed. That I would probably just quit trucking. Yeah, but. right. No, I think that there are, I don't think this is the norm, but I think that there are some people that are like, oh, this will be so great. I can just drive across the country and kill a bunch of people and no one will ever notice. Especially because I think a lot of times they target sex workers and transients and people that they think no one is even going to care that these people no. have been murdered. So it's sort of like when you hear about like, a priest or a Boy Scout leader or like some soccer coach who molested a kid, obviously it's a it's like one or two percent of the mm. people who do that. Most people in that don't do that. Although the basketball coach did offer to give my kid a ride home one time and I said, no, thank you, sir. I will be mm-hmm. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or someone I know will. Even right. though I'm sure it's fine, but I also think people of that mindset look for opportunities. Yeah. And I that's think. an opportunity. And the people that take those, like, you know, that were to take the ride or whatever, like, it's not their fault that this happened to them. But, oh. oh. Yeah. No. But that was a good, yeah, that wasn't, one wasn't too scary. Mine was scarier. Yeah, yours was scarier. This is scary just like that this guy just did it. I don't know. I just feel like there's other crimes that just have not been, you know. And if he had confessed and said, yeah, I killed them and didn't say he killed anybody else, then I would believe it. But because he's still saying he's innocent, 
that makes me believe yeah. more that there have been other murders. And you'll never find out why he he killed them. Not that there's a reason that's good enough, but I right. always I there's no reason that's good enough, but I want to know in their minds why they did it. Yeah, I think for yeah, me that's why, for me, I'm, that's interested why I'm interested in true crime in general. Is I want to know like what is going on that this is that what this happens. Is what you know, mm-hmm. you know? where's like Where between like, point A and point B? Like what's like what what's going on? You know, you know, hate it. Yeah, but yeah, I um so I listened to a podcast from the daily from June of last year um about uh Jedmatch and about genetic genealogy being used in forensics. I read some articles from CBC News, uh from Seattle Weekly, from the Herald Net newspaper which is in Everett, Washington. Um and I watched that episode from just 2 years after the murder, the season 2 episode 5 of Unsolved Mysteries which you can find on Amazon. It makes me sad. I hope they're not ghosts. I hope that they're not ghosts either. Because then I'll have to talk about them in another podcast, and I don't want to. I want them to just go be happy. Yep. Well, anyway, this was our premiere podcast episode, Tori, and I thought it went pretty well. I think so. I'm really scared now, which I feel like is a bonus. (laughs) So sorry. No, that's okay. This is what we're here for. We'll have to do these sometime when, when, you know, Toodles is home Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. earlier in the day, but we'll get it. We'll... I kind of want to do it late at night and get really scared, but I know you don't want to do that. So yeah, we'd have to pick a day where then the following day I would be able to actually sleep. So yeah, like a Friday, Maybe night, a Friday night and Sweetie Pie's home. Yes, exactly. But not on his computer being loud. Right, exactly. We'll have to make that's his room right acoustically sound. That's that's an acoustical challenge. Mm, yes, definitely. Well. I loved this podcast. Me too. I'm going to do another one next week. You want to do another one next week? I would love to do another one next week. That's such a good idea. We have to figure out what our topics are going to be. Mm, do some research. I just said topics. 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 Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for bringing me that story, and I'm glad they cut that bad guy because um, I don't need that. I don't need to think about that guy rolling around. Oh, no, definitely not. But thank you for telling me about Black Eyed Kids. So I know you're very welcome. I know you're thrilled. Yes, I know now to stay away from children and my door and my car. Basically, if you see a child you don't know, just start running. Yeah, don't make eye contact, but also don't break eye contact. Right. Well, the key is to not just don't interact. Right. Yep. Don't see them in the first place, I think. No. Avoid children. Okay, good. That's easy. All right. All right. Well, Insomniacs, we're going to see you all next week, and uh, we're going to try to keep you up all night. Oh, yes. We're really excited. See you next week. Bye. Bye.